Hello and welcome to the PCRS podcast series. In this series, we'll be bringing you experts on a number of respiratory related topics. The podcast has been produced to update you and to give you food for thought about how you deliver your respiratory services. Hello and welcome to the PCRS podcast. I'm Daryl Freeman and I was a GP and I work and live in Norfolk. About five years ago, I decided to leave general practice and I moved to work for the Community Trust and I'm now an Associate Clinical Director for Norfolk Community Health and Care. It's an interesting role. It's half clinical and half strategic. And one of the nice bits about that is it's allowed me to have time to focus some energy and some headspace on being the lead for the respiratory working group renamed the Respiratory Clinical Network for Norfolk and Waveney. Largely speaking, the role of that network is to try and standardise care across Norfolk and Waveney and try to bring primary, secondary and community care together um, and improve respiratory pathways for patients with respiratory disease. Inevitably, things have um, ground to a halt a little. There's been a small virus called COVID, which for the last two years has made delivering change other than delivering COVID services very difficult. So, so that's, that's been kind of the bad news. The, the good news is that we did make considerable progress prior to COVID. And some of the changes that have arisen as a result of COVID may bizarrely, I think, work in our favour. And particularly thinking about um, the money that, that seems to be around for virtual wards at the moment, that may well provide us with a good way of delivering innovative respiratory pathways and plugging into some of the resources and the enthusiasm around around virtual wards. So I think probably it's worth talking a little bit about the sort of setup that we have in Norfolk. It's a very rural county, as I'm sure many of you are aware. It's stuck on the far east of of England. And as such, actually recruiting staff is very difficult. Um, A third of our kind of geographical area is is in the North Sea. So we we can only recruit from the west. We're a long way away from um, any major cities other than Norwich. And our communication and transport network is is particularly poor. Our, Our nearest motorway, bizarrely, is actually in Holland, There is no motorway at all in Norfolk, and many of the people who live here wanted to stay that way. We have three acute trusts, one in Kings Lynn, one in uh, Great Yarmouth, and one in Norwich. The one in Norwich, the the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital Trust, is is the largest and is the one that tends to drive change, has the major trauma centre. And for a while, there is a thought that maybe the other two should be um, downgraded, although that, that's that's certainly not happening at the moment. It, it probably seems to be the, the logical step, I think. One of the major problems is that until recently, two out of three of our acute trusts were in special measures. The, the, Norfolk, the NNN, the, the Norfolk and Norwich, came after special measures about a year ago. Kings Lynn is still in special measures. And that inevitably makes driving change and improvements very difficult because we all recognise that actually making changes without the involvement um, of our secondary care colleagues is is really difficult. We are NCNHC, the the community trust for which I work, is the main provider of community services across Norfolk and Waveney, but there is um, another trust called EC, which is based in the east um, and supplies community services around um, Great Yarmouth. So that works very closely with the, the hospital trust based at Great Yarmouth. 
And then there's primary care. And there's huge variation in primary care across Norfolk. We have obviously the city-based GPs who actually work quite closely and, and have collaborated quite well. And they really engaged federation working and they have set up a PCN, which is basically the whole of Norwich with with smaller places or neighbourhoods, I think they call them within that. So so they have worked together for, for a long time. In terms of PCN structure out in the more rural areas, that's been much slower to get off the ground. And, and that is, I think, a reflection of distance, geography and also um, often very different ways of working and very different profit structures. I'm sure you're aware, any of you who work in uh, rural areas, that um, rural GPs are able to dispense medication, for example, and that that often makes standardising formularies very difficult. Um, G- GPs who work in dispensing practices might look at our Norfolk and Waveney formulary, for example, for COPD and think, well, that's all very well. But actually, if I prescribe that inhaler, I'm going to get um, a a better dispensing deal and therefore make more money. And often what we find is is that they prescribe outside of, of the formulary. So trying to bring respiratory care into a kind of stable that we all work from has been challenging. As far as the Norfolk and Waveney Respiratory Clinical Network is concerned, we have uh, worked on setting up formularies and we have a a very good formulary which is agreed across primary, secondary and community care for both asthma and COPD. It's hosted on a website to which everybody has access. And as I said, in general, it's it's been very successful, but but dispensing practices often make that, that quite challenging. So that's a little bit about the the setup in Norfolk. I I think it's a great place to work. It's a great place to live. And we certainly have our eyes opened by some of our more rural patients. The challenges I've alluded to, COVID has stopped everything really. And working in such a geographically diverse and population diverse area but diverse area means that if you're going to look at standardizing care you really need to think about having a variety of different methods of, of delivering care so so what's happening at the moment I'd like to say loads um, I'd, I'd like to say that we we're in the process of setting up a respiratory service but we're not we are in the process of looking at what's going on in the in the big wide world at the moment and trying to decide how best to make use of a, of a very difficult time and the, the the national priorities as I'm sure you're aware are around setting up uh, PCN diagnostic hubs and having breathlessness hubs which kind of feed into your community diagnostic centres so the plan is to have three community diagnostic centres across Norfolk one aligned to each acute trust And then just before Christmas, I had a meeting with a manager who has been assigned to looking at breathlessness hubs outside of the the, the big three. And we had a very interesting discussion about how best that might be delivered. And and it was probably one of the most positive conversations I've had for a while. Um, One of the things that I felt we really needed to consider in such a rural um, part of the world was having a, um, a mobile service. And I, I was desperate to call it the lung lorry or the, or the breathlessness bus. 
And bizarrely, this particular manager had been um, go, going down the same lines. And, and actually, we've, we've made real steps forward in, in considering having a mobile breathlessness service, which perhaps can be parked in a GP car park, perhaps in a supermarket car park, um, to get away from those kind of traditional barriers of, of where we deliver care. And uh, we, we discussed how we could ensure that we were able to provide high level clinicians that would be able to cope with cardiac breathlessness as well as respiratory breathlessness. So be able to take a full, full clinical history, have clinical assessment skills, and be able to um, at least make a respiratory diagnosis, yes or no, cardiac diagnosis, yes or no, and if unable to make a diagnosis of either, know where to refer and how to refer on for the next steps. So that's a piece of work that's ongoing, and actually I'm really, really excited about that. I think um, I think if, if, if that comes into play, then we'll have achieved an awful lot. The other um, priorities in terms of respiratory care are making sure that we diagnose more patients with COPD and that's about getting spirometry back on track. If I'm honest, that's very difficult. The recent wave of COVID has meant that um, spirometry has stopped once again and GP, GP surgeries are slowly getting going. One of the things the Respiratory Clinical Network has been very keen to do is to ensure that we don't go back to a situation where clinicians without clinical assessment skills and adequate respiratory training are making a diagnosis of respiratory disease with spirometry. So um, improving training and improving qualifications has been a big priority for, for this part of the world. One of the other work streams that we're looking at is severe asthma. And again, this has been driven by our acute colleagues. And it's been, it's been something that perhaps I saw as a threat initially, but actually has, has become very much an opportunity. So our acute colleagues are very keen to drive more patients to, um, into their clinics in order to receive biologics, because we know that for the right patient, that really does transform their lives. I think, I think what secondary care hasn't been able to understand is that most patients with uncontrolled asthma in primary care don't need a biologic. Actually, what they need is a proper asthma review by somebody who knows what they're doing, um, who could identify the fact that the patient isn't able to use their, their inhaler, um, isn't on the right inhaler, or indeed may not have, as, have asthma at all. And, and were, they were quite shocked when I said, you know, you do know that 25 to 30% of diagnoses of asthma in, in primary care is incorrect. So feeding into that was an opportunity to, to start to target patients with poorly controlled asthma in primary care using a variety of different um, searches, targeting those individuals, those patients with highly skilled clinicians who could either sort out their asthma in primary care or if necessary, make refer on to secondary care for a, a biologic assessment. So that's that's work that is definitely ongoing. Definitely the acutes were keen to collaborate with that and projects that demonstrate that we are collaborating, collaborating with secondary care seem to be the ones that um, receive interest and funding. So then that brings me on to virtual wards. Virtual wards, as I'm sure you're aware, have been a kind of byproduct of COVID um, and a way of monitoring more patients at home, particularly with pulse oximetry, 
and have enabled acute care and primary care to to avoid lots and lots of hospital admissions in patients who are just about managing without oxygen. So moving on from just looking after patients with COVID, the opportunity to have more patients cared for in the community has attracted a lot of interests and, and some funding from NHSI. So where we're heading in, in Norfolk is looking at elderly frailty pathways. And as most of the work that I do for the trust is around um, the frail elderly patients, we'll certainly be following that up. The other opportunity is to look at how we can use uh, virtual wards to improve our care for patients with respiratory disease. One of the opportunities that I can see is ensuring that all patients who are referred on to the respiratory virtual wards, which presumably will come as a step down either from the wards or ED, is to ensure is, is ensuring that those that group of patients are actually reviewed by a community respiratory service. And I and I can see the virtual wards being a good way of, of delivering the interest and the funds to actually set up a step-down community respiratory service, which we don't have at the moment. And I'm hoping that that in turn will lead to having a, a respiratory service that means that we can inreach into primary care and support our primary care colleagues in managing patients with difficult asthma and frequent exacerbators with COPD. So that's really where we're up to in, 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 in Norfolk. It's been really difficult, a really difficult two years where I feel like you know the world has stood still and I and I guess everybody feels a bit like that in terms of my own personal work it's been very different from what I was ever expecting when I left primary care I suddenly found myself heading up a team of very experienced advanced nurses and advanced paramedics but looking after a condition that that we'd never ever seen before in the first two waves we had four four wards so about 100 patients with with covid and in the most recent wave we've had um, one ward uh, which is fully red or fully filled with patients with covid so things are a long way from getting back to normal um, but i'm kind of hoping in the next six months or so that we will start having conversations about how to drive respiratory services forward rather than just surviving and I guess that's pretty much all I need to say, other than the future is beginning to look quite positive again. I'm hoping that we don't have another wave of COVID that stops everything again in its tracks. But I do honestly believe that the virtual ward concept, whilst it wouldn't be the way that I would want to go about setting up a respiratory pathway, may actually provide the impetus, um, particularly to our secondary care colleagues, to start to look at more innovative pathways that don't just involve um, admitting patients to, to ED or to hospital wards. So it'll be interesting to see what, where we are in about three to four months' time. And maybe I need to come back and do another mini podcast as, as an update. That would, be, that would be quite interesting. So I'd like to say thank you for listening. I hope I've left you a little bit enthused to go off and look at different ways that, that you can provide respiratory care for your patients. Have a look at the respiratory service framework on the PCRS website. Um, a lot of resources are on there that may help you do the same. Thank you for listening. Have a good evening. Have a good afternoon, wherever you are in your day. And please make sure you dial into lots more PCRS podcasts. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe for future podcasts. Goodbye.